0: A city divided, a family fractured, two brothers caught between past and present. Published by Knopf Books for Young Readers, Berliners, a new novel by National Book Award nominee Vesper Stamper, is a riveting story about the rivalry between two brothers living on opposite sides of the Berlin Wall during its construction in the 1960s and how their complicated legacy and dreams of greatness will determine their ultimate fate. This powerfully prescient and haunting book is a perfect gift for young readers and has a lot to offer to grown ups as well. But then again I am biased, as yours truly had the honor and the pleasure of narrating the audio version of this wonderful novel. So please support free thinking, independent artists and purchase Berliners by Vesper Stamper from your favorite bookseller today. Make sure to check out the link in the show notes below. Hello there, you beautiful people. I've got a question for you. Do you drink coffee or tea? Of course you do, you beautiful bastard. And that is precisely why I want to tell you about my sponsor, Twin Engine Coffee. Twin Engine Coffee grows and roasts specialty-grade coffees right on the farms in Central America. And guess what? If you happen to be a snob like me and are much too pretentious to drink coffee, you can enjoy some Katura tea, my personal favorite, which is made from the dried fruit of the coffee plant. You take you some ginger root, a couple lemon slices, some honey, and a dash of cayenne powder, and you'll have an even sexier concoction than all the hipsters tapping away at their laptops at that high-end cafe around the corner. So again, if you enjoy great coffee or tea support small business and this podcast by ordering from twinenginecoffee.com slash CliftonDuncan. Again, that is twinenginecoffee.com slash CliftonDuncan. There's a link in the show notes below. And now, enjoy the show. Ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between, my name is Clifton Duncan. You have found, once again, my podcast. Uh, I'm joined by a very special guest today, but first, before we get there, uh, just uh, however you're consuming this content, if you're watching it on YouTube, uh, give it a like, a share, a subscribe. Um, if you love it, share it with your friends, and if you hate it, why then share it with your enemies? Uh, today we have uh, Akira the Don you know, I don't know what what to, what to say about him. Uh, he's a very interesting fellow uh, doing some very important work, I think. And, um, you know, I, I was telling him right before we started that, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a certain kind of way today. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie to y'all. I'm, I'm feeling kind of I'm feeling kind of I'm feeling a heaviness. I'm uh, feeling a bit. Um, I don't I don't know what it is, I'm a weird kind of energy. But the funny thing is that I'm talking to, uh maybe the person who is the antithesis of how i'm feeling right now just in general um and so that's sort of a um a a good thing man but uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit tell us about uh uh, who you are my friend
1: hey what's up uh am let's see i don't know maybe i'm feeling heavy too maybe (laughs) i also uh am about to go like dark akira mode like why not Anyway, yeah, uh, I'm a the Don, I make music, and uh, it's a beautiful day to be alive here at the peak of a Cody human civilization.
0: <laughs> boom! See, well, that's, that's what I needed, man. That's what I think. That's the kind of energy we need to get over. My, I mean, I'm a Scorpio, so that that, that might be part of it. My little, uh, uh-huh. my, my my brooding uh, nature. But uh, you're primarily known uh, uh, as a as a, perhaps maybe the the creator of of a meaning wave. Would that be an accurate assessment? That is one of the things that I did. That, that that you did all right
1: that you, is you, a thi- that is a thing that occurred and continues to occur and keeps occurring
0: like yeah. uh like a sonic boom <laughs> yeah and what in street fighter just charge back and then uh exactly forward. exactly forward fierce exactly. Um, yeah so i mean you, you're so fascinating to me i always love talking to uh to musicians and um uh, because I think they're they're even weirder than actors and not not in a, not in a bad way um usually far more interesting than actors if i'm being really really honest um, but uh, you know I've, I was watching some um some other <laughs> interviews that you've you've given and uh, you, you sort of went uh you you clearly are someone who marches to the beat of his own drum, but you kind of started out um, went on your own when you were sixteen is that correct
1: yeah, well, I left time the day before my sixteenth birthday that is true and yeah. i it was it was after a number of, of Previous attempts. <laughs> uh, I think the first of which is when I was like seven. Really, I remember when my son got to seven. I was like, "Oh shit, oh shit!" He's paying attention. Like, there's <laughs> like, no, he's fine, no signs whatsoever. He don't want to go anywhere. uh He claims he's never leaving. Um, oh, so
0: which is nice. Well, yeah. I mean, well, it's it's nice until he's like eighteen or twenty. <laughs> and you're like, get the hell out of here! What are you still doing?
1: Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. He's like nine now, so he's still cute, you know? Okay. But like, he's going to stop being cute
0: at some point. And then, then it's like, maybe, do you still love them when they stop being cute? What happens? I don't know. Oh, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't have any kids yet. Uh, But but I hear that once (laughs) once they get there, you know, it's especially if they're boys, too. Apparently, from what I hear, uh, boys are are sort of hellions until they reach about uh, teenage years. Then they kind of straighten out. And then but girls like the complete reverse. But Mm. I feel like but I think um, that that around that age of nine or 10, I I hear parents say, man, I wish I could stay this age forever. Um, And I mean, I think there's something something to that.
1: They're all dope. I've liked all of them. Um, every <laughs> every aspect of it
0: has been an utter delight, and I'm sure, like,
1: when he's um, getting in trouble with the police and, and creating explosions and things of that nature, it'll still be wonderful. It's all wonderful. <laughs> just uh, like... It's,
0: it's, uh, all perspective. Just like his dad. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, the idea is you kind of want you want to break generational doodars, don't you? And you want them to uh, not have to make the same mistakes you did, right? Ideally, we wouldn't just keep doing the same stupid shit over and over and over for infinity.
0: Ideally, like, but that then, would be nice. But then they tend to make they, they make new mistakes, don't they? That they find other mistakes to make. They respond to whatever society they're growing up in, so have to deal with all of that, all of that nonsense as well. So it's kind of hard to predict, I suppose. Well, this is a very different world, is it? Is it not? In
1: the uh, society he's 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 uh, emerging into, where he comes running in. He's been playing Roblox with uh, with his cousins who are aged seven and ten, mm. and he comes in saying, "Dada, dada, what's a pansexual?" <laughs> and goes, what do you say? It, he, he goes, "Does it mean you marry a pan?" And I'm, he's very serious. He's like, "Oh Lord, what's going on?" Then it turns out, like his littlest cousin, who he's playing with uh on the internet, is hanging out in a in a in an alphabet chat room, mm-hmm. and they've got all the flags up, and they've got every single one of these things—the pans, the cups, the tables—all of them, right? Whole right. thing, and um. Yeah, so these these are the things that we have to uh, deal with now. But I do remember when I was his age, uh, AIDS occurred. Mm, Yeah, And um, I was at school, I didn't know that AIDS had occurred. And I was like seven, I was at school, and uh, I saw on the ground what appeared to be a deflated balloon. I was in the playground, and I picked it up, and one of the bigger kids came running over going, that's a condom! You've got AIDS! (laughs) And everyone at the whole school went, and literally the entire school gathered around me screaming AIDS, AIDS. He's got AIDS. (laughs) So I I had AIDS. I didn't even know what it was. I said, of, of course, my instant reaction was, no, I got fucking AIDS and I uh, kicked the guy in the leg and then we had a big fight. And then I, and then the guy didn't want to touch me because I had AIDS. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, you, you would think if you're truly, truly terrified of AIDS, you might not want to <laughs> run closer to the person you think has it screaming AIDS in his face. <laughs> He's got AIDS. I don't they know.
1: didn't know. Nobody knew. It was just what had been dropped on us that week. I can't remember if that was like the week after or the week before there was a hole in the ozone layer where we're all going to die next week. Right. But there was a lot of shit going on. The point being there's always a lot of shit going on, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. We sort of we sort of pushed through. I I remember there was all those rumors going around. I don't know um if they were true or not, but uh, apparently, you know, you didn't want to reach you know like, you know, they had payphones or whatever or vending machines. You didn't want to reach into the little uh the flap where they where you got your change because people were like apparently putting syringes in there or something so that they would <laughs> stick you with a needle and that and that's what would give you. That was like the rumor going around. I don't know if that was true or not.
1: That was a rumor put out by the people who run those machines because people like me were sticking their hands up inside and pulling out Snickers.
0: Ah, ah. That's what oh. that was. Always, oh, So that was you that was doing that? That's your fault? I was doing that. I was
1: like, me, me and the homies from early, we was we was um, <laughs> messing with those machines. We was violating those machines from early. And uh, back in the day, you used to be able to put your little kid hand like up and there's like a flap thing at the back. And like... You would, and sometimes if you did it with like a comic book, you could like knock out like a bag of Skittles oh, really? or something from the bottom. Back oh, yeah, in the day, and if you had at home, he was like leaning on the thing at the same time and sort of like pushing it a bit. You could maybe even get a little bit of a like a like a sort of avalanche, an avalanche of uh, of illicit
0: candy, you know. And see, I always use the the blunt force approach to try to shake the damn thing, but yeah. I, you know, I, I wasn't crafty enough to just um, you know do a little. <laughs> just like... Just a duck and a, little, his a little fisting candy machines <laughs> a little, yeah a little light fisting exactly I had, I had a lot of rage as a kid it would uh <laughs> it, it worked out yeah, it worked you. out well uh where but, did you grow up uh well i grew up uh my answer to that my mom was in the army so i say uh, germany virginia belgium and virginia in that order um mm. so like i was born in heidelberg um i have just about no memory of that. And then uh, we were in uh, Southeastern uh, South Virginia. Then we went to Belgium, um, which is a, a, a really special time. Um, and I sort of developed a love for Western Europe at that point. And uh, then I came. And it, was, it was funny too, because um, when we came back to America, this movie, um, I don't know if you remember Dangerous Minds. It was like Michelle Pfeiffer. She's like mm. she's playing this teacher in, in this like urban uh, ghetto school or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know why, but I was like, I'm gonna go back to America and I'm gonna get shot in school and uh, really that's not that's not a good um great joke to make these days unfortunately um i i, I just knew that i was going to be in danger somehow but um it was a little overblown but uh yeah i was, was such a culture shock too when i came back because everyone else had kind of moved on and you know had these little uh, like little pubescent kids, you know, freaking each other on the dance floor or whatever, and I'm still doing like Belle, Biv DeVoe dance routines and shit. It was uh, uh. <laughs> I was totally a fish out of water. Wait, but you grew up in the UK, right? I'm I'm, I'm presuming by by uh, it's not an accent to you, obviously, but yeah, culture moves fast, huh?
1: Just a couple of years and everything can change on you, and you're totally. suddenly an alien in your own home. What the fuck? Yeah, uh, I was, but similar, like. I was born in the the Midlands. The UK is weird, right? Because it's relatively small, but if you like walk in 20 minutes like in one direction the accent will completely change. Right. And yeah. the culture will completely change, you know. But I was I was born in the middle of it in the Midlands, uh where they all spoke like this or my super deep. where Peaky, Blind- <laughs> Peaky Blinders town. So I was Peaky Blinders town. My grandparents probably hung out with the original Peaky Blinders. They were like from they were the Browns from Cannock who were, uh, right. you know, famous Nedwells. Um <laughs> uh But we moved to Wales when I was like two, which is a different country with a different language on the left-hand side of the UK. Mm. And uh, so suddenly I was like a little alien and like the school I went to, like they were teaching me English in Welsh, which was confusing because I spoke English, you know? (laughs) And um, yeah, then I left home on the eve of my 16th birthday and then went on adventures and um, ended up running off to the USA. At Like, uh, when was that? After London, I went, oh no, well, I had many adventures and I went to, back to the Midlands and had adventures, went to London, was in London for like a num- number of years, went to the USA, went all over the place, adventuring, you know, and I see this in you. It's oftentimes that there's, if once one has seen beyond, you know, what the, uh, the horizon of your, of your birth, and once you start seeing other places, that gives yeah. you this context which allows you – well, it, it stops you from, from um, falling
0: for certain tricks is one thing it does. Yeah, man. I, you I, I know what sort of, I mean? There's a number of I, – I definitely thank my lucky stars in a way that I didn't um, – my, my upbringing was so weird and doesn't make sense, but I also feel like I missed – because, you know, there were kids that um, – when I came back to the States that I'd known before we had left and, uh, they had totally changed, man. I mean, they just, uh, I don't know, especially, especially the, uh, the black kids as well. It was something, something the boys had, uh, something had really happened to them. And, uh, mm. they were, they were, they were, um, there was a, more of a darkness about them. Um, they had uh, just a harder edge about them and uh, just made me wonder, you know, what is it that, um, that happened? It was like only four years that I was away too, which was, uh, which was, Kind of bizarre, um, more more violent. It went, there was some, something happened, but I, I missed all of that. But I also have this this cultural sort of um, blind spot now. Like anything from the early '90s, I don't remember. And people are like, "Oh, did you ever see this movie from da da da?" I'm like, I have no idea what movie you're talking about, bro. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't see it. I just wasn't there. That wasn't my thing. Unless it's like Aladdin, Lion King, or like Jurassic <laughs> Park. I don't remember any of that. Or like or Dumb and Dumber or Wayne's World. Those are the only five movies I know from that from that era. Uh huh. I
1: put on. Um... I put on San, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas last night. Like, I just put it on from the beginning. I just watched the intro sequence and played the first two missions. Mm. Uh, and it's this beautiful thing. You can I, I I kind of forget about that story, but that's one of the. That's kind of what that story is about. Is that guy the the main character CJ? He goes to New York. Um, he's from. He's from. He's from LA. He's from a kind of Compton-esque sort of like hood section it's the early 90s he leaves i believe in the late 80s he leaves in like 88 and he comes back in like 92 so he comes back Mm -hmm. and it's all like g-funk and dre and gangbanging and this that and the other you know when he left it was like as crack was being born and that sort of thing he goes to new york he comes back his mother's dead but it's like this whole thing that like how much everything has changed in four years, how all of his friends have changed. That thing you're talking about, how everyone's mm. like hardened in this strange way, this calcification of people that's occurred, how he's now an alien. It's just four years and it's the place he grew up. And that's where all his family was from, but now he's an alien and everything's completely different. And uh, it's a really beautiful little bit of storytelling, I thought.
0: That's funny. You mentioned uh, as soon as you said, um, San Andreas, the first thing I thought was like, was Ice Cube, which makes me of course think about uh, hip hop, which makes me wonder, you know, when when did music come into your life, um, the DJing and uh, and and hip hop, was that always a, sort of a thing or were you just sort of, um, did it kind of visit you from on high at some point?
1: Yeah, music was
0: always there.
1: And I thank my father for that. My father was a big music guy mm. and uh, he gave me a fantastic musical education um, just purely by playing great music all the time. And he would literally sometimes like sit me down and be like, right, now this is this. I remember he took me up into the attic when I was like seven or something and bust out the Motown seven inches and was like, right, oh, right, this okay. is Motown type thing. And I, no, I remember no. him doing the same with like punk. He's like, the, and that would be sort of like UK, sort of like Sham 69 Sex Pistols type punk. He did the same thing. He like, he gave me a very uh, fantastic musical education. And like, you know, I remember he had uh, OG Original Gangster in the house when I was seven or eight or something. I think like 88 that would have been. Um, I think the first rap song I l- I knew fully was Walk This Way, Aerosmith and Run DMC, because I had this, metal, this marquee metal cassette that I got from a car boot sale when I was a little kid. I used to get a lot of music from car boot sales, which is kind of like a swap meet or something, I guess. A uh, load of people sh- show up in a field with their cars. This is like a UK thing. And they sell shit out the back of their trunks or boots. Huh. They call them boots in the UK. And that's the only place I could ever get comic books because where I was in Wales, there was no comic shops and there was no music shops really. So like I would go to these car boot sales on a Sunday with my paper round money, I'd buy comic books and I would buy cassettes and seven inches, you know? Right, right. Anyway, but yeah, there was Marquee Metal. had Walk This Way on it and I learned Walk This Way, like back to front, upside down type thing. And I got into Ice Cube. And then the I really got into rap with uh, Death Certificate, uh, which is Ice Cube album. And Death Certificate was like, it was telling me, you know, it was like, it was kind of like this crazy sort of gonzo journalism. I was really into Hunter S. Thompson as well a little later, so that makes sense. Mm. I think of Ice Cube as of of something of a gonzo journalist. He's like in the middle of these situations, telling you about these things that, you, that you're that you not being told about by other places in the same way. The America you're getting told about via mainstream sources at that point pre internet is like a Bill Clintonized um, version <laughs> of what's going on, right? And then here's Ice Cube, and uh, he's just like you know, He's just fucking breaking it down in a very uh, visceral fashion uh, about
0: one side of the world. Yeah, that, I, think, uh, uh, I think somebody said uh, once said that uh, uh, rap music is like uh, like CNN for black people, basically. But yeah, even that was songs Chuck like, D. Sing. Uh, was it Chuck D? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Chuck
1: D, and that was around our time. And I was it was funny because I was listening to also Public Enemy. It was Ice Cube and Public Enemy and Disposable Heroes of Hip and stuff like that, which is like which is this full coolio starts coming in which you mm. you think when not realizing at the time but okay i'm so i'm listening to ice cube and Ice T, which is basically which is gangster rap mm. uh at the same time as i'm listening to disposable heroes of hypocrisy which through a contemporary lens you'd go you'd say oh that's conscious rap or something right and i'm listening to uh to what did i just say chuck d uh public enemy which is uh i suppose you would now say is uh
0: what would you what would you call that now? I don't know, maybe like Rip. protest rap, active I Yeah, exactly. Maybe
1: exactly. But it was like this full circumference of different styles. And yeah. I'm listening to Tim Westwood had the essential rap selection on Radio One. He's playing Heavy D and the Boys and shit, which I was loving as well. So that's like party <laughs> rap. That's like party yeah, yeah. rap, right? So you had the full circumference of the of the situation. And that was the thing I always loved about what is one of the things that made me really fall in love with rap music was that it could take anything into it musically uh you know it could it could incorporate anything and it could describe and discuss anything right so know- ultimately it was hypothetically the ultimate musical form.
0: Well, you know, hip hop, you know, I used to be a huge, huge fan and a, and a practitioner. The first uh, rap album I ever heard was actually a Biggie Smalls, Life After Death. And I was like 14. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, they're cursing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but what's 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 amazing, and I don't know if, um, if people, like younger people, don't really get it. But like especially the early 90s, early to mid 90s, that whole time period, you had so many different styles, so many different sounds. Like you were talking about gangster rap. You had West Coast. You had the East Coast kind of boom bap going on uh you had uh i mean i, I was a big fan of uh, like tribe called quest zulu nation all those guys de la soul mm. but you also had like the roots were coming out with their first albums jay-z had dropped his first couple of albums nas came out with illmatic in about yeah, 93 93 94 that's right. said. it's like so Wu-Tang much Klan, all that stuff was going on it was like a radical uh and what's crazy
1: like i was saying about the san andreas thing so you think he goes to new york in 88 And the music that was out in 88 versus the music in 92, that's just a four-year difference. And that's the difference between like cock rock, hair metal, um, cherry pie type shit um, being the main stuff on the radio and like all the stuff you were just talking about, the Wu-Tang, Tribe Called Quest, like like De De La uh, Snoop starts coming through, all that type shit, Um, grunge occurs. And this is like, this is tiny fucking time period. And culturally, everything changed radically. And you do not see that happening now if you look now at, say, what music sounds like now versus four years ago, is it very different?
0: Well, here's the thing, dude. So, and I think you'll appreciate this. So this is about 2014, right? Um, and I did a, I did a throwback Thursday back when we still did those things. And so I looked at the, like the top, like the billboard charts from 1994, was it 94? I think it was 1994 versus 2014, Like like the top 25 singles or whatever. Mm. And... On, I remember that on the 1994 list, you had about maybe 20 or so artists represented. I mean, you had like MC Light, uh, Tribe Called Quest. Um, you just had all these people that, were, that people were listening to. They were, I mean, they were listening to all of it and you know, all these different sounds. Mm. And then I remember on the 2014 uh, Billboard list, it was like seven. It was seven artists that were, that were represented. It was like Jay-Z, Justin Timberlake, McLemore of all people. Um, I think Drake. Lupe Fiasco. And I Drake. noticed over time that, yeah, probably Drake. 17 Drakes. But like, but I, I just because for me, everything started to become so homogenized, you know what I mean? And sound uh-huh. versus versus, you know, just 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there were all these different kinds of sounds that everyone was kind of taking in and listening to. Um, there's, a, there's a line on a Jodocus song. What was the song? It was when I was signed to
1: Interscope in 2005 and it was it was out at the point that I was in the offices. They were all playing it. He goes, uh, you can download a whole album. Now you see where they got the whole style from. <laughs> and uh, that was a very good point because so previously you'd be making a record and uh, technologically how you were making the record. People was using NPCs. You could only sample like six seconds or some shit like that. Mm. And uh, it was there was no YouTube tutorials telling you how to fucking do sidechain compression <laughs> and how a sound like this record or that record. You couldn't download sample packs. There was no drum kits. You could get none like that. You right. had to sit there. You had to go to the record store. You had to fucking get records. You had to sample little bits of the records. You had to do all that kind of like, so the what you were coming out with was unique to you, whether you liked it or not. Maybe you wanted to sound like Eric B and Rakeem, but it was fucking difficult. It was impossible to get the same sound you couldn't get find the same record you couldn't do the same things so you would just be forced to come out with something unique that was unique to you simultaneously you had the cut the as you were talking about the west coast the east coast etc there's no internet shit like that the shit you're hearing is shit on your local radio right for the most part and shit you're hearing at local parties right so it's regionalized to right to where you are and you are heavily affected by the what is going on so that is why uh why uh, West Coast music sounds so summery and that whole vibey, lazy type thing. It sounds like what it is. It sounds like the sunshine, right? But it, also, it sounds like that urban decay and the sunshine thing. New York sounds claustrophobic and fucking harsh
0: because the buildings are blocked street. up. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's why like grime. Concrete. When grime, yeah, when grime came out, it sounded just like fucking horrible London council London estates because that's where it came from. It sounded like where it came from. Whereas nowadays, you can live in the internet and you don't have to look outside your window. So you can be heavily, and you saw sort this of start to happen in in the in the uh, zeros, whatever. We still don't know what the fuck to call that time. The odds, but Ace, yeah, the odds, the noughties. ASAP Rocky comes out sounding like the South because he's living on the internet. He's living on blogs, mm. you know what I mean? So he sounds like Houston, but he's in New York, and that starts happening. And you start getting a thing where people start sounding like just like what they listen to and what they listen to in the internet. And then you start getting the whole thing where, like I was talking about tutorials and sound packs and this that and the other so little baby's out and little baby's hot so you're a producer you want to sell beats to another rapper it's just like all right how do i make a little baby type beat it's all type I, beat. i this, hate that right? so much i hate that so type when i'm looking this. at like
0: beat star, it's like you know so so and so type beat you know yeah. kanye west donned a type beat i'm like dude just make yeah. up your own stuff and you know i just yeah and- but you
1: know why they do it? it's the same reason that clickbait shit exists within youtube it's like people trying to find right. things it's everything's a search engine
0: But like, you know, it's, 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 it's fascinating to me because I don't know how you feel, but I mean, for me, one of the greatest producers of all time was, uh, was uh, Jay Dilla, AKA JD. I knew you were going to say Jay Dilla. I knew you were going to say Jay Dilla. You know, the dude, he was, he was so versatile, but all the stuff you were talking about before him chopping stuff up, just making complete, um, completely different, um, um, like, I guess, compositions out of all these different pieces. I mean, Pete Rock is kind of the same for me. DJ Premier, all these guys were were, were, were working on their own and just, and chopping things up and just coming up with something completely. The original and um yeah i mean yeah, and you're not using
1: to- the quantize no quantize like no fucking what?
0: no quantize that was
1: uh that was jd's main thing it was like no quantize he just sounded like a fucking drunk toddler you know what i mean just <laughs> like know really, like you've you've tried to like i I've, I've watched a bunch of so many videos on people breaking down jay dilla what he does and they're all like trying to do recreations of jay dilla type shit and none of them can do it it's cool like certain people, you can, but you cannot clone that guy's style. That guy was like,
0: yeah, he well, he um,
1: was very pure, purely him.
0: Well, and also to be fair to to those people who try to clone it, I mean, there's a um, in the liner notes, I think, of the Roots. Um, what's it? Things fall apart. They talk about that. Uh, I don't know if you know how well you know that album, but there's a song called. Um, what's it Everybody touch this illaffith dynamite and they have this like really really sick um, guitar riff that just loops over and over again and I think it was quest love writing in the line notes he said you know he said Jay Dilla played this sample one day that we that we were trying to like and, and we tried our best to replicate it but we never could so what you mm. hear on the record is like their best approximation of what they heard Jay Dilla do and I'm just so to be fair to those other people man I mean that that's that to me and I think the roots are genius man I mean they, they can they can play anything and 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 the the fact that even they these musical geniuses couldn't <laughs> couldn't replicate what Dilla was doing is really a testament to just how how much uh how much he was kind of of his own so it kind of gives me brings me to a question that uh yeah man i i didn't i didn't expect this to come up but just this idea of of creative individuality right now um mm. you know because uh, and i i bring this up because um You know, it's gonna sound like like a reach, but maybe I'll maybe I'll get there. So go with me, just for a little bit. Travel with me. Um, (laughs) But there's a but uh, so. There's an actor named uh, Michael Chekhov who was the nephew of the great Russian playwright Anton Chekhov and um, he had this idea of the of the 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 artists like the actor's creative individual persona which I think you can kind of extrapolate to other art forms it's like you know uh, uh, George, George Carlin had this sort of one you know sort of acerbic persona and then you have uh, you know Dave Chappelle has more of a, a laid back kind of um you know easygoing persona Robin Williams is what was more manic and mm. I'm wondering, you know, kind of going off of this idea that everything's more kind of homogenized now, we're kind of, and regionalisms have, have died, you know, do you think, I mean, I, I'm, not a, I'm not really more of a, a doom and gloom guy, but do you think the sort of <laughs> that the capacity for the, that the individual unique person has kind of been lost a little bit in our culture, or is that too much? I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll let you riff on that. I know you got probably a lot of thoughts about that.
1: Well, as long as I've been alive, there's been a war on that. Uh, my first album, which was called "When We Were Young," was about uh, the individual and the the right of the individual to be an individual. The the necessity of the individual. It was all pinned together with samples from the Prisoner, which was a sixties spy show, which was also about that. Um, so this is it's it's the eternal war, uh, and it's the eternal push and pull between the society and the in indivi- the individual. Right. Yeah. And. The necessity of both and that's ordering chaos uh and that's all that's the whole thing that we're constantly straddling and the whole left-right paradigm is a representation of uh, in a way and that's what's constantly going on and if one goes too far in one direction then there is there is horror and currently we're far too far in the uh sort of collectivist direction we're far too far away from the individual and that's what's causing a lot of our problems. And it will go back in the other direction. And then we'll have to correct there as well. Because when you go too far into the individual, then you end up with a certain kind of tyranny. Uh also. Uh so that's that's all it is. And it's it's fun, it's interesting because. What, now, there is more capacity for individual expression than there has ever been. There right. is more capacity for an individual to realize themselves at their highest, most individual form than there has ever been. Right. Uh, I remember I talk about, I've mentioned this a few times, but I find it fascinating. Uh, Terence Trent Darby was a soul. He would have worked pretty well with the Soul Aquarians, now I think about it. Hmm. But he was he a was soul singer from the UK um, who was dark of skin in a world where there were only 12 issues of The Rolling Stone. And as he said, you could only have two Dark of Skin motherfuckers on The Rolling Stone a year. That's it, right? Mm. And Michael Jackson and Prince existed. And Michael Jackson and Prince didn't want to- not even Dark. They didn't- Yeah, it <laughs> well, was exactly. Dark. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jackson and Prince did not want to give up their, uh, their covers of The Rolling Stone. So suppose, he says, they got together to blackball him from the industry to save- um their spot. So that was the time. And when you're talking about crazily individual artists and you think about that time, you've got boy fucking Boy George and fucking Michael Jackson and Prince, you've got all these like very individual characters. When you're talking about rappers, you you can you the difference between Nas and Biggie is instant, right? You, mm-hmm. you, whereas a lot of times now you'd be hearing rappers and you're like, they sound a the fucking thing. I can't but anyway, distinguish
0: any of them, right? Yeah,
1: right. but but anyway, but the point is, but this is a time. When things are massively homogenized, where like, if you're in a school and you try desk different, you're going to get the fucking shit beat out of you. You know what I mean? And now we're in a time where young Lean can have millions of views per per music video. Most people don't know who he is. You can have millions of, you can have millions of worlds existing concurrently in which people can be completely individual to their highest potential uh, and exist and make money uh, and have fans and do and you know and keep going for fucking decades it used to be that a career was would wouldn't last more than a couple of years most of the time you can sustain a career for decades now if you put in the work uh but it's so, in- so it's interesting that in that paradigm somehow homogenization is even more intense and even more rampant and yeah. then you have to go well why is it when you have more of a choice and more of a capacity more people choose not to seemingly
0: you know, it's, it's, I, I have no idea what it is, but I'm glad I'm not the only person that, that feels that because even on, even from an acting perspective, right, and I've said this story um, once or twice before, but uh, you know, in, in my conservatory, we, you you had the, uh, you had the opportunity to sit in on um, auditions for prospective students. And so you would see people come in and like, you know, they're kind of nice and bright and shiny and, you know, kind, <laughs> and, but they're also kind of meh. You know and um there was one instance actually i remember this one girl came in and she did her you know she did her little monologue and it was okay but then um the faculty that was in there they saw that she had um i think like flamenco flamenco dancing on her um, on her resume as like you know part of her special skill set and so then when they asked her like okay so do your piece again but then infuse that with the energy of you know this this flamenco dancer And, and like she she totally transformed and and into this sort of Sensual kind of sexy kind of kind of being, and the question for me became, well, why didn't you come in with that? You know, why was it this sort of like, oh hey, I'm I'm perky and nice, da, 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 like like you know, clearly something about this flamenco dancing taps something within you, and it's like it's as though we are creating a a culture of of. I mean, you know this, but a culture of conformists who are sort of afraid to kind of branch out on the skinny branches and maybe be, be more vulnerable, um, you know, because they don't want to get mean Internet comments or something. But maybe that's part of it. It's part of it. It's like Internet culture. It's like, A, we're, you know, we're all connected, which is kind of cool. But at the same time, we're all connected, you know, we're, all con- which, <laughs> we're all connected, which, which, is which exposes kind of you to, to
1: abuse. <laughs> we're all connected, which is kind of cool, but we're all co- we're all connected, which is kind of like school. Yeah. And then that's the problem. So as I just said, that's exactly it. Like you got Prince, you got Madonna, you got fucking uh, Ozzy Osbourne, whatever the fuck, crazy motherfuckers up there in in pop in popland. Meanwhile, in school, I used to get in fights every single fucking day, uh, every single really? day for for being every single day of my life at school for being for being Shocking. for being a bit different. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so you go, huh? What did the internet do? It turned the whole world into school. What did that? What is that obsession with uh, with people not growing up, with keep keeping people in this eternal state of youth? Uh, it makes the whole world school forever. Everybody's fucking terrified of be fucking sticking out and sitting at the wrong table or not being invited to the right fucking table and mm. having the wrong, not having the teacher fucking like him or whatever the fuck it is. We're in a fucking giant, like unending. Uh, Cosmic fucking digital school and everyone acting like that and it's like oh, these is the popular motherfuckers over here And these is the out ones over here and these is the geeks over here and this that and the other And everyone's acting like they're in school for fucking ever and that's what's going on and that's why it is and it's really really uh,
0: Weird yeah, but you (laughs) know, I think I think it's easy for us to say though because we grew up at a time when there was no internet There was no social media. So all the dumb Uh shit you did at 12 or 16 or whatever isn't captured forever online somewhere and no one's going to come back 10 years later and say hey remember when you said this thing when you were 14 and stupid ah there goes your job there goes your you know your whole livelihood you know that's what i'm saying there's a pressure to be perfect yeah
1: exactly because what was great about school was you could leave it and you could leave all those motherfuckers behind and that was what got me through school was knowing that one day i'd be able to step out that motherfucker and go find my people go find what i was interested in and it would be out there somewhere uh, and I knew it would be out there. There was an internet, but I knew that I wasn't alone. I knew there would be someone out there in the world. Nowadays, you just go on a, on a, on Reddit and you'll find a bunch of people that like the same shit as you. So you know you're not alone instantly. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you do some shit in school. Everyone remembers it. Everyone knows about it, right? If you get drunk at a party and throw up on a girl or whatever the fuck, everyone's <laughs> going to talk about that shit. Everyone remembers that shit. Everyone knows that shit. Till you leave school. In internet world, which is like a big ass school, you do some shit. Everyone knows it forever never gets forgotten because you're in school forever because internet school is forever this internet thing is is eternal you do some shit in like 2007 like someone's going to dig that stuff up they're going to find that thing and it's going to haunt you forever you're never going to be able to let go of it Mm. you can't leave you can't move town you know what i mean there is no moving on so the what's what the internet has done to society in its current form uh is it's like an episode of the twilight zone or something where we're all locked in here together forever, and we can't leave.
0: <laughs> well, you know what though? It, it also makes me think that um, because we have this technology, and we don't maybe feel as though we have to um, interact physically. Because you mentioned adventure before, like you, you know, you, you had the mm. impulse from like the age of seven to go out mm. and just and, and adventure and, and, and wander and kind of do stuff. And uh, now, you know, we, we there's so much that we have just in these devices now. Um, that, uh, you know, maybe that, that, that thirst for exploring the unknown and for having those adventures, uh, has been sort of dulled in us, you know, kind of blunted in a way, so to speak.
1: I would say about this whole thing is that it's very, very early. This is a blink in the eye. You know, this is a blink in the eye of God, this moment right here, this time we're talking about. And I think it's very important to remember that. And like, well, stuff is crazy. And like, oh, I'm talking about the thing I'm saying, oh, we're locked in school forever. Or, uh, it's not forever, though, because the shit is changing so fast. Like the notion of what we consider to be the internet right now will be very, very different in five years, three years, two years, even. You know, so mm. that's that's the thing to, con- to concern ourselves to uh, consider and not to get too worried. Uh, there are a million adventures. There are a billion. There is infinity of adventures left for us. And mm. part of that adventure is this thing that's going on now. We don't know what this is yet this is an intonation of something grander and something larger uh that is a great adventure for us to partake in and some people are aware of that and some people see that and some people don't and uh but it's it's really important to remember that um one thing i like i think of constantly is the idea of us as a species about to like we're so young as a species right you think about how long Mountains have been chilling. You know what I mean? How long <laughs> those mountains have been chilling there? Just, just chilling, chilling. <laughs> just chilling, right? With little things running around. Then here's us. We just popped up last week. You know what I mean? We're like, we popped up last week. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, and we have the industrial revolution. And we go, we need this stuff, and we go, we need this stuff, and we pulling things out of the ground, and, we, and we're fucking frantically running around. And you might think of that like uh, like a baby. You know, when a baby's in his mama tummy, that baby's like munching crazy and it's making mama sick and she needs to eat a lot of fucking ice cream or, or fucking cucumbers or whatever the fuck it is or pickled sausage. And, uh, but that ain't forever. Like then that baby gets born, right? And then the baby starts like wiggling around and like poking things. And And I think we're still in the pregnant stage of the human. Like, I don't think we're even, we've even come out. I think we're about to come out. And that's what all this frantic, like, Mess and stuff that people people are freaking out about is all these various messes that people think means destruction. You would think it was destruction if you were about to be born. You've been alive, you've been living in this in this place, and like there's a there's a light appearing and people are shouting and stuff. You think that's fucking death? You think it's it's all over? When in fact you're being born. And I think that's what's happening with us as people. And that it's good to just keep that in mind. Uh, it's it's a good antidote to doomerism. Is uh, the awareness of how how little we are and how much we have yet to do,
0: and how exciting that is. Well, that's actually a really great uh, segue because uh, unfortunately, you know, I'm gonna have to have you back because uh, there's so much that that we could that we could riff on. But um, mm. the reason I was feeling heavy um, is part of that part of that doomerism. But it's also, I think, part of it is an, an internal conflict I'm having within myself. One of it is like is about the role of art and artists right now in in this particular society. Uh, you mentioned before about um, um, you know we, we've marched toward the the collective and you know and we're still dealing with uh, you know I think we're in the middle of a huge paradigm shift as well. And uh, my my question lately has been well, what role are the are the artists going to play? So I'm I'm nursing now this sort of lofty ambition, um, and I want to hear your thoughts about it um, to wrap up. Is that um, you know it, things? I think a lot of people are consumed with uh, with doomerism and you you know of of course you look at the news and it seems everything is breaking down all at once particularly in the past couple of years Um, so much has been sort of um, thrown into disarray Um, but now i think it's incumbent upon people who create and who are artists to push back against that and create more beautiful more transcendent experiences and especially the more digital that we go you know, and, and I know, you You know, we we utilize technology and and, and we have to incorporate that and, and we can do that in really cool ways. But, um, you know, we can create maybe more analog experiences as well. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking of this idea that maybe now the artists have a mission to come back and really reassert ourselves in this society and say, no, there's still beauty. There's still transcendence. There's there's something there's a there's a force that's uh, that's bigger than us that we can that we can. We can feed uh, the public with uh, the world with, and sort of nurture the soul of society. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder if that's sort of where the, the adventure that that I'm being called to now, and maybe that's you mm. as well. That's why you're like doing Meaning Wave and all this other stuff. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah,
1: you're completely right. Obviously, obviously, you're completely right. Uh, all right, well, it Dost- that's it for the. I'm yeah. um, just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. That's all that I needed.
0: That's, <laughs> that's it. it. That's the end.
1: <laughs> uh, what was it? Dostoevsky said, "Beauty will save the world." And you might want to think about, so this news thing you mentioned, that is a perspective that is a, and it is a perspective that is very carefully stage managed and set dressed. Uh, It's like you look, it's like you've got a little peephole Mm. and you're looking through that peephole and in there is a very, very carefully set dressed set. Right. Right. And someone who's really, really good at their job has painted and made it and put in their props. And so to give you this like idea of what it is, and that is the world that you're seeing. It's the world they want you to see. uh, And it's not true. It's a It might bear some relation to the truth, just like a set dressed set uh, in a good movie or a a stage play or whatever. has bears some relation to the world, but it's not the world it's not the totality of everything and it's certainly nothing close to that intonation of the divine that only something like art and music can give a give a glimpse at mm. our capacity for uh, explaining that which is is uh, prehistoric currently it's very very crude <laughs> and the best tools we have are art that's the best we have that's why when you're uh, watching uh, a bit of a, a movie a play a tv show whatever it is it could be the cheesiest thing. I watched the episode of Smallville the other day. Uh, we were I'm watching Smallville with my wife and son. It's fun. It's right. like okay, pre, pre uh, ideological uh, turbo possession television type thing, <laughs> you know, where there's still heroism and ideas and things like that. Right. But it's yeah. like, so you've got this like really cheesy fucking episode that's really comical and silly, and then something at the end happens that's so beautiful that we all burst into tears. Hmm. And it's something that's and it's it's this combination of sound and. An emotion or what have you—that's that's created by artists of different kinds—that can. Uh, it's only that that can do that, and that's that's uh, that's how you save the world. Is you remind people of the truth. The the thing that that little hole I was talking about that people are looking through and they think that's the world. That's not the world, right? But that's what they're getting shown. You can break through that. With art, uh, you can play them a song or something. If they're strapped to it, if it's like Plato's cave, if they're fucking strapped in, and all they can see is that 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 shadow on the wall, that set dress cave, but you, they hear the music coming through. Suddenly, wow, there's that. Oh, there is more.
0: Mm.
1: Holy shit! Something like that will blow that whole thing apart because it's so real. You know, uh, it's so real. It is undeniable. When you see the truth, it is undeniable. Right. And then once you've seen it, you cannot unsee it. It's like that genie in the bottle. You know, once it's out, that motherfucker ain't going back in. Robin Williams' fat ass is not going back in that like <laughs> well, You
0: know
1: what I mean? That thing is out. And that's what, that's what we're doing. That's the point. Right. And we can all do that. We, we can all do that in our own way. Just because you don't think of yourself as an artist doesn't mean you're not an artist, because all an artist mm. is 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 someone who makes choices and makes deliberate choices and acts them with a With a purpose, with a with a definiteness of purpose, right? So your life is is an artwork. If you're living it with a definiteness of purpose, and you say, I am doing this, this is what I'm doing. You're not just being dragged along and carried along and eating a hot dog or fucking fucking jacking off because you felt like felt like it or whatever, right? If you're living with a definiteness of purpose, you're making choices. Your life is art, and you can create a masterpiece of your own device of your own devising, right? And the more people that do that, the more art is in the world. It's not just paint a pretty picture or sing a nice song, right? It's just make things beautiful where you can make them beautiful. And the more of us that do that, then the more beauty there is. And well, it doesn't matter how many people they've got strapped to that, set to that chair, looking through that little hole in the wall. If everyone out there is making things beautiful that knows they can, that beauty is going to come through. And eventually it's going to fucking override everything the weirdos are up to eventually that's you know the light but they stole it at the end of that show what was it well leonard cohen has that thing there is a crack in everything that's how the light gets in right Mm. and uh there was an alan moore comic and someone's looking up in the sky it's like look at all that blackness but you see all those stars shining through no matter what right the eternity the infinite darkness light always comes through the light will always the light always wins you know so, uh, yeah, you are right. That is that is what we can do. That's the thing we can do. The stoic uh, thing that I love the most is some things are in our control and others not, right? So if you're occupying yourself with things outside of your control, you're wasting your fucking time, you're doing a disservice to your ancestors, you are shitting on everything they did. They fought, they died... They suffered and you're here wasting your time on shit outside of the domain of your fucking control. When you could be doing things within the domain of your control, every moment you are not doing what's within your control it's time you could be doing what's within your control and what's within your control is making things beautiful in the manner that you can. And if you're not doing that, you are fucking up the cosmos.
0: Well, Forget I can't think it. of a I can't think of a better way to close things. It's funny I'm working with the the slogan now. But it's a uh, uh, make make things beautiful and make beautiful things, Mr. Akira the Don. How can there people you find go. you and support you? There you go.
1: Make <laughs> things beautiful and make beautiful things. That's beautiful right there. Hermosa. Uh I I be wherever you be. Hopefully, I I do my best. <laughs> uh, there's no point putting your lemonade stand on the top of Everest and. Uh, Expecting people to come find your ass. So you know, if you're on YouTube, we there. If you're on Spotify, we there. If you're on to wherever the fuck you be in the internet, we there. And we are doing our best to be in the IRL as much as we can, despite um, the uh, despite the machinations of the creepy weirdos trying to stop us from uh, you know getting into different countries without having weird experimental fuckery procedures done upon us but anyway (laughs) just fucking type meaning wave into some shit and you'll find something wonderful and it might just make your life a little more beautiful
0: I love it man I love it